Welcome back to the Original Gangsters Podcast. I am your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my partner in crime, the doctor, Jimmy Butelato. Hey, now. And uh, we are uh, very thankful for our new producer, Ben. And Ben is behind the glass, and uh, we couldn't be doing this without him. Taking uh, OG podcast to a whole other level uh, on YouTube now, and we're going to be on a lot of uh, different uh, social media accounts and uh, getting this thing uh, multi-dimensional. Yeah, by the time you hear this episode, there should be three, four, five episodes hopefully on YouTube video episodes. So uh, today it's just going to be me and Jimmy chopping up some uh, organized crime history. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the Lucchese crime family out of New York City. Uh, we're going to discuss a or discuss the most infamous hotel heist in American history, possibly world history. Uh, it's the 50 year anniversary of the Pierre Hotel robbery, which took place in 1972. And then we're going to draw a line between the uh, Pierre heist all the way to the very end of the movie Goodfellas, which is, you know, an American classic, uh, uh, you know, cinema, cinematic masterpiece. I call it the perfect movie. Um, and I think there's a, a bit of, of lost history when it comes to the story or the real story behind the movie Goodfellas. And, uh, you know, people have, have spoken and chronicled the Lufanza heist uh, which was the the biggest robbery uh, in American history? Uh, eight anywhere between you know four and eight million dollars in in cash and jewels uh, from from JFK Airport in December nineteen seventy eight, and it's it's depicted in the movie. But uh, and again, there's been dozens of documentaries over the years about the real story behind the Lufanza heist. But the very end of Goodfellas. Um, that, you know, that chaotic 25, 30 minutes, uh, the final chapter of the movie where he's all coked out of his mind and and uh, you see him finally get arrested. And there's this little, a tiny line or two that gives you insight. But outside of that, we really, or the public, I should say, doesn't really know how the entire Goodfellas crew, quote unquote, um, was dismantled. And, you know, you have a reference by Henry Hill or Ray Liotta playing Henry Hill in um, the end of the movie when he gets arrested. And I thought these guys were feds. Uh, but in reality, they are, they were Nassau County narco detectives. So he got brought down on a, a, a state drug charge, which then dominoed to him cooperating and taking down Jimmy the Gent and taking down Bolivario. But I, I want to tell people the real story by, about how that bus came to, to fruition and the fact that the catalyst for the downfall of the Jimmy the Gent, Roberts, Roberts Lounge gang, the Lucchese Goodfellas crew can all be tied back to an 18-year-old teenager. Um, and you can, like I said, you can draw a line between the Pierre robbery and that 18-year-old teenager. The 18-year-old teenager, uh, his dad was a member of the Goodfellas crew. I call them the Goodfellas crew. They weren't known as that at the time. They were the Roberts Lounge crew, Robert, Roberts Lounge crew or the Vario crew. 
Uh, but uh, this 18-year-old's father, Bobby Germain, was a member of that crew and was a, uh, a participant in the, the Pierre Hotel heist. Do you want to start with the, with the heist? Well, yeah, so it's, you know, 50 years ago uh, this year, um, it was the day after New Year's, and a robbery crew that belonged to the Lucchese family uh, that was led by a Middle Eastern mop figure uh, known as Sammy the Arab. Uh, his real name was uh, Soterio Nalo, but went by Sammy or Sammy the Arab. He actually came from Detroit. He was an Iraqi that uh, was uh, a young, up-and-coming Middle Eastern wise guy in the Detroit Mafia in the uh, 50s. And in the early 1960s, he moved to New York and joined up with the Lucchese crime family. I'm not sure if it was an official arrangement or not, but... Uh, yeah, do we know how he ended up there? I do not know. Uh, but he transferred, for all intents and purposes, from the Detroit mob, the Tokos early crime family, to the Lucchese's and was slotted into the crew of uh, Christopher Fernari, who went by the nickname Christy Tick. And Christy Tick was um, Tony Ducks Corallo, who was the godfather. Uh, that was his conciliary. And uh, he was uh, also the mentor for Little Vic Amuso, who is the current godfather of the Lucchese crime family, has led the family for the last 30 years. He was groomed um, out of a Diker Heights bar uh, that was owned by Christy Tick. And this was Christy Tick's, or uh, this was a subunit of the Christy Tick Fernari Brooklyn crew uh, that were, were specialized in, in high-end robberies. I mean, I guess you would, it, it, to, to make an analogy to people, uh, movie-wise or pop culture-wise, I would say think of the Robert De Niro uh, robbery crew in Heat. Not so much in Goodfellas. Yeah, these were pros. Yeah. These guys, they, you know, they took down scores for a living, and it wasn't uh, necessarily um, smash and grab or, <laughs> you know, run into a convenience store with a, with a, a ski mask. These were very complicated um, uh, heists that took a lot of planning and uh, a lot of logistics and coordination. And in... They'd, they'd gotten a tip um, about safety deposit boxes that were being held in a very, um, <laughs> I should say, a loose, not a very, the, the safety deposit boxes that were in the Pierre uh, Hotel that were, that were being maintenance by the hotel, but they belonged to the, the high-end clientele of, of, the, of the hotel. Um, word had trickled down to the Lucchese's uh, robbery unit ran by Sammy the Arab, that uh, these were not very secure. That it was an easy, uh, easy access, if you knew what you were doing, to these safety deposit boxes. The Pierre is in Manhattan, I'm assuming? The Pierre is one of the ritzy hotels uh, on Central Park. Is it still there? I believe it's still there. Hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's been... Famous for celebrities and political dignitaries and 
artists and uh you know the uh the manor born uh if you if if you want to talk about mob history at the pier besides just the heist in 72 there was the famous wedding that was held there in i believe 1980 it was a banano crime family wedding and there were dignitaries mob dignitaries from around the country that descended on the well, that's a class. The, some of those uh fbi images yeah, are with with, uh, with the three capos from the bonanno crime family who ended up being killed in the donnie brasco hit. Yeah, rizzuto uh you had vito rizzuto in those you have vinnie gorgeous basciano right who was the boss of the bonanos who's now in prison who was like uh, 18 or 19 years old in those photos yeah, bon ventre and amato yeah so, uh, there bon were guys from sicily so there. all those all those famous photos that are online uh, of that wedding that took those those took place at the Pier Hotel. Yeah. Okay. I didn't remember that. And, and cool. that was ten years after the uh, the robbery that took place there in seventy two. So I'm surprised they let those wise guys book a, a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't learn the history. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna check this over. <laughs> so I guess Sammy, the Arabs crew, uh, in addition to being infamous for these high end uh, robbery jobs, they had a specific niche of ripping off uh, ritzy hotels. So they had taken down scores at the Carlisle, the Regency, the St. Regis, the Drake's, the Drake and the Sherry Netherland in the previous couple of years. They had actually um, stolen a million dollars from Sophia Loren. Yeah, I saw that in your At the reporting. Sherry Netherland uh, the year before the, the St. Not the St. Pierre, the year before the Pierre Hotel robbery. And, uh, Sammy the Arab was partnered up with a uh, uh, Rochester, New York mobster named Bobby Comfort. That wasn't his nickname. That was his real name. And uh, Bobby Comfort and Sammy the Arab were the co-leaders of this crew. And they reported to Christy Tick. And Christy Tick provided them uh, men. He uh, provided them workers. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Berg, yeah, other other uh, crew crew yeah, members. So, for like members of Christy Tick's crew would go work for Sammy the Arab and Bobby Comfort uh, as kind of like being farmed out for these for these. Let me uh, let me ask you something. Just you, maybe you don't jobs. know the answer, but these are some prestigious hotels. How public were these? How publicized were these robberies? Any idea? Did they well, receive- the Pierre Hotel robbery was. Was very public. No, I mean before that though. Some of these other ones, I don't know. The Drake and I'm not certain because I can imagine those high end hotels would try to keep this on the down low because you ain't gonna be very you ain't gonna have a lot of high high end clientele for very long if people find out that they're gonna store their shit there. <laughs> Somebody on the inside is tipping you know some crooks off. So I was just curious. Um, but anyhow, so they planned it for the hours after. The New Year's Eve party or New Year's Day party. Um, so there was, uh, they they busted into the hotel at about four o'clock in the morning, and stayed till about six. So they had two hours. Um, they rounded up all of the staff and uh, tied them up, put them into, uh, I believe, the concierge's uh, quarters, and uh, they knew exactly what they were looking for. So they went into the uh, the safety deposit box uh, section of the vault. And well, let's, let's back up one second. They, they were able to get access by just simply making a reservation at the hotel and showing up in a limousine, pretending to be guests from out of town. Um, 
saying that they had to do an early check-in. I guess their check-in wasn't supposed to be uh, till uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, but they had called ahead to the um, desk and said, we, our plane got in early, so we're going to be checking in at about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the Sounds morning. Like Ocean's 11. Right. Kinda. <laughs> and so they were let in uh, just driving a limousine, not knowing that in the back of that limousine were a bunch of masked gunmen about to uh, loot the place. So well, I, I take it back. I'm looking at my notes. They were there for about three hours. And uh, the uh, the get or the hall has been speculated anywhere between $3 million and $30 million. Um, I guess, I'm, I'm guessing it's not $30 million, But I do believe it could be over $3 million in terms of cash and jewels and uh, uh, bonds and whatnot. And then another kind of... Uh, tidbit from the crime that kind of speaks to the dashing, daring uh, aura that these guys had. Uh, they tipped yeah, I read all that. of the hostages, a $20 bill, which the equivalent of a day would be like yeah. $50 bill or $100 it's bill. It's like, uh, reminds you of like a John Dillinger, yeah. Pretty Boy Floyd kind of uh, Robin Hood kind of right. thing. So, you know, they eventually, or I shouldn't say they, Sammy the Arab was eventually arrested. Bobby Comfort were, uh, was eventually arrested. They both did short prison terms, but uh, the money was never really recovered. Uh, none of the mob shot callers that were benefiting from the robbery were, were ever brought to justice or, or indicted or had to account for this. Uh, and it's, it's interesting how they got caught uh, because it ties back to uh, our hometown here in Detroit. So Sammy, the Arab, was, was uh, felt comfortable enough to take his portion of the uh, robbery and stash it or stash portions of it. He stashed portions of his portion um, with... Italian and Middle Eastern mob affiliates in Detroit. And one of those affiliates was a confidential informant and gave Sammy the Arab up. Um, I thought, I thought Sammy was holding back. Well, that, that's that a, Christy Tick wanted. That's another a bigger cut. That's he, another aspect. She was it. hiding it from yeah. Christy. Well, Tick. No, that's what came out. I think after the fact, okay. Um, after he was caught, and then he came out of prison. I think he only did two or three years. Let me see. And then when he came out of prison, Christy Tick was like, all right, now it's time to settle up. Oh, oh, F, okay. I, I see my time. And Sammy was like, no, uh, you know, you got what you got, and I got what I got, and now we're moving forward. <laughs> and that never sat well with, with Christy Tick or the Lucchese crime family. And, you know, I, I'm of the belief, and I believe the, the U.S. prosecutor's office is of the belief um, that that played a role in Sammy the Arab's gangland slain uh, in the late 80s. Let me ask you something about protocol. If um, Sammy has this big score in New York and it's connected to some, some guys, mafiosi in New York, and he wants to hide, stash that cash in Detroit or launder it with some connected guys, whether they're Italian or Middle Eastern, that either way they're connected. 
do they they don't ask him where this money comes from, right? Like that's you see that, that Sammy the Arab to me learning about him more recently, I I had known bits and pieces about him. I didn't know he was from Detroit until I was having lunch with some people that knew him uh, in the last six months. And I knew that there had been a Middle Eastern mobster connected to the Lucchese's who had been killed. Uh, I read about that. So I knew the name Sammy the Arab. I didn't know his name was Sam Nalo. But I had no idea that he had grown up in Detroit and that a lot of people from Detroit that are alive today have memories and connections to him. So that made me kind of want to deep dive this. And uh, so I don't, I'm still learning. I'm kind of in my, in terms of my research, uh, there are people that I've been researching and write, writing and reporting about for 20 years. And then there's someone like Sammy Nalo who I've been writing and researching about for a couple months. And I'm still learning as I go. But I, I'm wondering the same things yeah. that you're asking. I'm wondering what was kind of what was going on behind the scenes there. You know, when he did come back to Detroit, but with that money and, and, and jewels, jewelry and money, did the Detroit guys know that, did they know that it had come from the Pierre Hotel? Did they know that he was involved with the Lucchese's in this? They think it was just yeah. some independent, you know, Sammy ripped off some, someone without the help of another mafia family and were helping him? Or did they know they were helping him hide money from the Lucchese's? And, and let, me, let me see what you think about this. If... You know, a lot of the Middle Eastern guys in Detroit were connected to the Jackalones. I don't know if Sammy was, but it seems like most of those guys were, as opposed to, mm -hmm. like, uh, the Tocos or Crados yeah. or something. So if the Jackalones find out that you're coming back with a stash of money, yeah. <laughs> they're either going to want a chunk yeah. or they're going to whack you and take it themselves, right? Yeah, so the Jack... I mean, the Jack I mean, they're pretty dangerous, yeah. treacherous dudes like that. The Jackaloni brothers oversaw all the Jewish, African-American, and Middle Eastern criminals for the uh, Italian mafia in Detroit. So, and they were known to be quite um, assertive <laughs> in, right. their, in their management right. style. Right. Uh, right. So, so they, would, they wouldn't do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> and I sense that the person that he gave this to was a member of the Jackaloni crew. It would make sense. Um, whether he be Middle Eastern or Italian. Um, this was in 1972, so you know that was right in the you know in the wheelhouse of that era where the Jackalones were overseeing all of these different kind of th this melting pot of ethnic yeah criminality. Uh, Greek from, guys, right? Greek guys too. Yeah, but you know the Greeks went more through the Corrado Vitali. Oh, that's, that's a good point because that was downtown. Yeah, yeah, um, but. They were definitely overseeing the Middle Eastern uh, gangsters, which didn't just come from Iraq, uh, for people that aren't from Detroit. Uh, it, it's a hodgepodge here of Iraqi, Syrian, and Lebanese. Um, and there have been, the Iraqis didn't come on the scene until the 70s. They all got here after Saddam took over in 68 in, in Baghdad. But uh, the Syrians and the Lebanese uh, had been here since Prohibition. Yeah, there's Lebanese families here that go back almost as old as the Italians. Yeah. Like, came here to work in the auto industry, yeah. like, the, the you know, 1920s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Jimmy Tamer, um, uh, the, 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 I don't know how to pronounce their names, the, the Masu brothers, um, 
Mosey, Joe Mesu and, and George Mesu. Um, there, there's like Freddie Salem, obviously people, I mean, maybe people don't care, but if you're, if you grew up around here, just like, there's a lot of, at this point, non-ethnic Jewish Americans, non-ethnic Italian Americans. There are a lot of non-ethnic Lebanese Americans yeah. in this area. Right. Who, like, they, like their great, great grandparents came you'd over. Have, and you'd have the, no idea they have Lebanese yeah, culture yeah, they don't speak unless Arabic, they would tell they you. Don't, right, it, right. Exactly. Right. So it's just kind of interesting how, you know, people assimilation over time. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I want to know, and I, I don't know if it's possible. I'm guessing that if I dig long and hard enough, I want to know who that who he gave that money and who he gave no, that stash to. Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, I, I don't, you know, we know who we're, I should I shouldn't say we know all of them, but we know a lot of the confidential informants. Um, after they died, they got out of this confidential informants. So you know, I'm going to do a little bit more digging and see if I can trace back the guy that gave them all up. But at the end of the day. They they got a slap on the wrist for stealing, even if it's not thirty million. Even if you're saying it's three million, I mean, if you're saying it's the low end of the estimation in 1972, in 1972, three million dollars is a lot of money. What do you? What do you? Um, how do you explain that? The 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 late sentencing lenient. Is there? Do you think there's some double dealing going the, on there? No, not necessarily. I I think that there are. Especially when it comes to the federal government, there's there's some real disproportional sentencing guidelines. Yeah. Um, this I, isn't this isn't seventy two. Is that the, this is in the seventies? Because if you think about it, if you think about the political history of it, the real tough on crime stuff starts with Nixon. Prior to that, there was a lot of lenient sentencing. That was more of like the kind of liberal, like rehabilitation. So there could have been something where maybe it wasn't corruption. It could have been just a soft judge. Yeah. That that just that's what they so felt. Neither was of them did more than justified. They both did three or four years, and they yeah. were both out by the end of the decade. They they were out and active in the New York Mafia in the late seventies. Um. So, and that's when the acrimony started to build between Sammy the Arab and the Lucchese's over the fact that Christy Tick didn't feel like the Lucchese's got their fair share. So if you do a cost-benefit analysis, let's say 3 to 30, let's split the difference, let's say it's like $17 million, and the, the feds can't account for it, and you do three or four years in prison. It's a pretty, good, it's it's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, so Sammy the Arab uh, met his maker in 1988, and we can tie his murder actually into John Gotti um, if we're, we're trying to hit on some pop culture highlights. So, uh, and there's still debate in some circles today and actually in the last couple months in court filings of uh, who gave the order for Sammy the Arab's murder. Um, the guy that the government has Pinned the murder on uh, Spiro Valencius, who or Val Valencius? Yeah, I've heard of that guy. Uh, was the the Greek godfather of New York City, uh, Astoria Queens. Was that what they used to call the Sixth Family in there? I don't know. People I think talk about the Rizzutos, different people but, have like okay. referred to themselves. As, okay, yeah, but I think the Russians would also refer to themselves. Right, Albanians, Albanians do. Yeah, um, but he he controlled that area. Um, in Queens, he had a working relationship with the Lucchese's and the Gambinos. And, well, let me also tell everyone that Sammy the Arab uh, was the owner of a 
incredibly popular nightclub in Manhattan, which also put him at the epicenter of a lot of New York City gangland culture. Because you had all of the major bosses um, and couple regimes coming there to socialize. And it was called the Port Said. Um, and it was a Middle Eastern themed nightclub with belly dancers and very, you know, lavish uh, food spreads and lavish, uh, you know, drink menu. And it was, a, it was a place for like movers and shakers. And that's where in his office uh, at the Port Said is where he planned the Pierre robbery a lot, a, along with a lot of other robberies. And uh, at the Port Said is where he met uh, Spiro Valensis. And I, I, I apologize to anyone that's Greek if I'm butchering Spiro's name. <laughs> but uh, Spiro was the godfather, uh, the Greek godfather of, of New York City. Um, he had a famous run-in with John Gotti where I guess yeah. he was infringing on some of the Gambino gambling uh, business interests and was re rebuffing attempts to have him back off. And John Gotti, I guess, was caught, I shouldn't say I guess, was caught on a wire saying to Sammy the Bull, I believe, tell Spiro <laughs> that me, John Gotti, will personally cut his fucking head yeah, off sever if he suffer, <laughs> sever his fucking head if he doesn't do what we're telling him to do. Yeah, that's, cla that's a classic uh, line, uh, conversation picked yeah. up on those uh, surveillance and, and And the result was that he did do what the John Gotti was telling him to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so Sammy the Arab was killed in 1988. Um, he was killed in a phone booth, uh, at his travel agency, I believe, or on the phone at his travel agency. Um, he was on the phone with Spiro. It was October 25th, 1988. And, uh, there were rumors that him and the Greeks were butting heads over gambling territory. Um, and the government, while convicting Spiro of a racketeering, included the Samuel murder, which got him life in prison. He is now trying to get out of prison. He's in his late 80s and is of poor health. And in his court filings this past uh couple months is claiming that he was wrongfully convicted of the same same the era murder and that uh just wrong place wrong time and i believe it's both so i believe he was a co-conspirator without question in sammy the arab murder but i don't believe he gave the order it doesn't matter You're, you deserve to do life in prison for a gangland homicide period he's claiming he didn't give the order he's well, I, he's saying he knew nothing. I should say he's saying he knew nothing about sure. it. I'm saying he didn't give the order, but he went along with the hit team and set Sammy the Arab up to be murdered. Um, and we know that Sammy the Arab in the minutes before he died gave the responding police detectives that he believed that Spiro had set him up. And he actually gave the name of uh, Baldy Mike Spinelli, 
as the hitter. Uh, He's the a guy Lucchese that, guy? And Baldy Mike Spinelli is a, is a Lucchese crime family soldier known for uh, coordinating murder contracts. So this is, this is 88. He gets yeah. clipped. And the Lucchese's, are they, they're, are they still, or Christy? Christy Tick was, I believe, in prison at that okay. point. So who, what's Lucchese's beef with Sammy at this point by 88? Well, some of it is, is it residual. St- is it still the some of this residual animosity okay. from the, okay. the 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 ripoff that they felt that came in the aftermath? And even of if it's Pierre. sixteen years or whatever the math is, sixteen years later, one thing we know that when you research organized crime, um, you know the, these these um, the animosity doesn't just uh, bad go blood bad, bad bad blood lasts. <laughs> yeah, it could take a while before and decades right, in the mob. Yeah. Right before, I mean, look at Montreal with the violis and residuals. So it can it can take in Sicily too. It can take a long time before you know the other side gets yeah. their chance at. Uh, so I, and I just we talk about we we always talk about protocol. I, I don't believe someone like Spiro Valensis would have the authority to kill Sammy the Arab, who's a big earner for the Italians, right? Yeah. Without clearing it with the yeah, Lucchese. That's a good point. Right. Um, and so, I mean, we know the hit was carried out by the Lucchese based on Sammy the Arab's own um, dying words. And was was he a made guy at that point, Spinelli? Yes. And so you, you can't, as a made guy, you can't do contract hits for non-Italians on, you can't freelance. Right. So I, I, I believe the Lucchese's told Spiro, you, you're having a problem with Sammy? Well, we have the same problem with Sammy, <laughs> and we have problems dating back over a decade. Yeah. So you're going to help us set him up. You're going to call him and tell him he needs to be at a certain place at a certain time. We're going to know where he is, and we're going to kill him uh, with, um, with, your, with your help. So back to the, the original informant, we don't, that person has, we don't know who that person is from the documentation yet? No. It's just in all the court filings and uh, records, it just says that Sammy Nalu returned to Detroit shortly after the robbery, put a lot of his um, robbery proceeds. Is with, it possible that he gave up information? That's why he got a light sentence? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. Okay. Um, Bobby Comfort didn't end up being murdered. <laughs> right. uh, he died of cancer in the 80s. And, you know, did a couple of years, kept his mouth shut. I'm just thinking, because that's another thing that'll get you killed real quick is, you know. Yeah. When they find out or, or suspect you're cooperating. But so there was, so there was Bobby C, who was Bobby Comfort. But then there was Bobby G, who was Bobby Jermaine. And now we're going to tie it into the movie Goodfellas. Um, well, also, I said to Jimmy off air, there's a reference to Christy Tick. In Goodfellas, you have to really know the the scorecard to dissect some of the dialogue. But if you if you know the players and you can kind of you know pick apart certain name checks, that if you're just a regular viewer, you would have no idea the significance. Well, even the the famous scene in the nightclub at the uh, you know there's Michael French. Oh, Michael French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, they name they name a bunch of guys right. in that in that scene. So. Um, Bobby Germain Sr. belonged to Christy Tick's crew. Christy Tick gets a reference in Goodfellas uh, in the scene where Paulie, played by Paul Sorvino, 
calls Henry uh, over for a, a, a dinner or whatever, pulls him aside and says, you hear anything about that guy that went missing? He's referencing Billy Bats. Yeah, that's a great scene. Because uh, he says that, you know, they're, they're, you know, Christie's asking everybody. He's like, Christie's asking everybody because the Gambinos are busting Christie's balls. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. And if you know who Christie is, Chris, yeah. Christie is Christie Tick or Christie Chris Fernard. That's a great scene because Henry Hill's playing dumb and right. Paulie's like, like, you know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> What does he say? Like, you know, you heard about that guy? Yeah, that guy, you know, who did the thing, who did, <laughs> yeah. the, did that thing with that other guy. Uh, so Bobby Germain, though, at some point in the 70s, changes crews. So he, uh, Bobby G was not Italian. I'm not sure what his ethnic uh, um, bloodline is. But he went from Christy Tick Frenari's crew to the Robert's Lounge Gang which was ran by Jimmy the Gent Burke, played by Robert De Niro in the movie Goodfellas. And they all hung out in a Queens bar called Robert's Lounge. And Bobby Germain, just like Sammy Nalo, transferred. I use the word transfer. I mean, just I, I know that it's probably a better term for it. Yeah, but right. It's, yeah, it's not formally. Not, but right. So just like Bobby Nalo switched from the Detroit crime family yeah. to the Lucchese crime family in New York, <laughs> within the Lucchese crime family, Bobby Germain switched from Christy Fernari's crew to uh, Jimmy the Gent's crew. And if you remember the, the movie, uh, at the very end, Henry Hill is going off the rails, uh, not just with drugs, but they're shaving points um, with the Boston College basketball team. They're running guns back and forth from uh, Pittsburgh. If you remember, there's a scene where he tries to take some silencers oh, yeah. to... to uh, Jimmy the Jet. I think your brain is so you're, going you're, soft. Oh, stop with the drugs. You're turning your brain into mush. Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What with am these? I supposed to do with these? <laughs> um, so that particular reference of the silencers and the guns, that was that was Bobby Germain's job for Henry Hill. Um, he was involved in the drug stuff too, but a lot of the stuff was going through Pittsburgh as referenced in the movie. Um, they're going uh through Paul Maisie, the Perla brothers, and uh, Nick um, Nick the Blade, uh, Joe's Wally, who were the Pittsburgh mobsters that they were doing business with. And Bobby is, all, is all of that in Wise Guy? I don't remember. Yeah, I haven't read that. I, actually, I just reread it for this. Research oh, okay, this. yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I read that book when I was yeah in high school, and I, a lot most of it went over my head. And then I read it again after all these years. I don't know, maybe like seven, eight years ago. But I've only read it twice. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. So this references. is all. This is all. I again. I went back, and that was part of my research was rereading re re Wise Guy. So um, Bobby Germain is doing business with Henry Hill, both drugs and guns, and through Bobby Germain working with Henry Hill, he introduces to Henry Hill in the mid seventies. His 15-year-old, 16-year-old son, Bobby Germain Jr., who is a cross between a burnout stoner, <laughs> football player, and wannabe mafia thug. Well, it sounds like the guys I ran with right? <laughs> in high school. <laughs> and he's this, uh, you know, long hair, kind of chunky. Uh, had played on his high school football team in Long Island, but had been kicked out of school. 
And by the time he was 16, 17, he'd gravitated uh, hanging out with his dad and, and, and his dad's um, mob crew. And at some point in 78 or 79, uh, he is recruited by Henry Hill to start being a drug mule. Um, so I believe that conversation occurred when Henry Hill was having Bobby Germain Jr. come over to his house and do uh, landscaping. Yes, right, yeah. And I believe Bobby Germain Jr. and his dad were both working for some chemical company at this time, too, um, where they were stealing some of the chemicals and moving them on the black market, using them in their drug operations. And Bobby Germain Jr. agrees to start working as a mule for Henry Hill. He's going back and forth from Florida, moving marijuana and pills. Uh, and then he starts moving marijuana, quaaludes, and cocaine along, along Long Island uh, to high school and college kids. And in maybe mid-summer of 79 or, or early fall 79, he gets entangled with an undercover not Nassau County narco. Yeah. And he talks right away. And flips. <laughs> and this 19, you know, it, it kind of re reminds me a little bit of um, a line that was said in Casino, but you could apply it to what happened in Goodfellas for a part of the story that they didn't really show you on camera. But as De Niro, as the De Niro character is narrating Casino and he's talking about uh, the underboss of Kansas City talking on a wire and giving them all this information the that, that they didn't think they were going to get. Like they were looking for something totally different yeah. related to a Over murder. Some, some, some God nobody, knows who. <laughs> some nobody that killed. Over uh, God knows what. what. Right. And all of a sudden the underboss is telling them, you know, unprompted in this wiretap. All these. Are, so yeah. John, uh, uh, De Niro's character basically, he's like, in a nutshell, this guy sank the entire world. Yeah. So it's like this 19 year old kid was the first domino to fall that brought down that entire faction of the Lucchese crime family. Oh. It takes down Henry Hill, who in turn takes down Jimmy the Jet, who in turn they yeah, take Paulie. down Paulie Vario yeah. and the whole Vario. Well, let me, let me, so what this, what this reminds me of is, first of all. Oh, let me just add one yeah, more yeah, thing. Go ahead. And then Bobby Germain was killed. Bobby yeah, Germain yeah, I Jr. Want, well, yeah, I want to get Not to senior. Right. And it's another reference in the movie Goodfellas that if you're not paying attention, it goes over your head. But when Henry goes and meets Jimmy the Gent for the last time in that diner and Jimmy the Gent starts telling him, I told you, I told you your whole life, stay off the phone, stay off the phone. He yeah. picks up the stack of wiretaps and then he says, uh, you know, there's a guy, that guy, he read you guys all out. He's talking about Bobby Jermaine Jr. Yeah. And he's like, would you have a problem uh, going with Anthony, uh, you know, to take care of this? Yeah. And he's like, no, I wouldn't have a problem. And then he says, I know if I went on that. Yeah, he wouldn't come back. If I went yeah. on that hit, I wouldn't come back alive. Well, it's something it reminds me of is, so we know that it's a myth that the Italian mafia is not involved in narcotics trafficking. We've debunked that a million times. In fact, the Italians have been involved in large-scale narcotics trafficking, not just you know some of these smaller examples. Nevertheless, in fairness, there are some, there, there are some wise guys who would prefer not to 
the deal in junk. That's true too. But it has nothing to do with morals or ethics. No, no, it's not, <laughs> but it, that's precisely my point. It has to do with this. Right. This is what they're afraid of is that there's too many weak links in the chain. Right. It has nothing to do with ethics or Joe. It's a it's insomnia. Right. <laughs> like in the Godfather. It has to do with the, it's the easy boss. Yeah, that that's come right. with all with harsh sentences. <laughs> that's right. And and you get a lot of weak links, like a seventeen year old kid who's gonna give up give up everybody. But there's there's a there's a certain cold blooded ruthlessness to me at least and i and i know that i'm picking and choosing here and it's somewhat hypocritical but they killed this 19 year old kid like they didn't kill the dad they didn't kill henry hill they killed bobby jr and yeah. i'm not well, they would have killed henry probably at right. some point if they i know get to but him. i'm just like wow and i'm not saying that in the world that you know, the checks and balances in that world are murder. <laughs> of and that's course. what keeps everyone in line. I mean, he's, he says that in the he movie says that Goodfellas. Movie, right. But I, I don't know. I just, it seems like maybe an 18 or 19-year-old kid should get a pass. But I, I'm, big, I'm naive, I guess, when I say that. Big boy enough to yeah, transport right. narcotics across state lines. Yeah. So they killed him. And uh, the guy who killed him was actually Angelo Seppi, who in the movie Goodfellas, it goes by Frankie Carbone. There oh, was yeah. no real Frankie Carbone. Yeah. Frankie Carbone was actually Angelo Seppi. Yeah. Um, and uh, played by Frank Silvero, who was He's great. Janko in yeah, of course. Abadondo in yeah. The Godfather. And uh, Angelo Seppi, just like uh, uh, Carbone in the movie, ends up dead himself. So uh, Angelo Seppi killed Bobby Jermaine Jr., I think in 1980. I think it was like a week or two after the bust. And then Angelo Seppi was murdered, I think, in 84. How did they, do we know the details of how did they, did they have to lure him or was it broad daylight? I know they, they, know? Kill, they killed him uh, on a street. So he wasn't, he wasn't in hiding yet. He was, they got to him pretty and, easy. Yeah, I don't know. Like. I'm not, I'm not sure. But uh, I, so the bus went down in August of 79 when it was when Bobby Jermaine Jr. was, was caught by the undercover uh, narcos. And then, and then Jermaine Jr. was killed in Queens. In June 19th, 1980. So it was like a month. The bus came down in May of 80, I think. I'm surprised that they didn't just kill the old man, too, just out of, like, I, and I'm not trying to say, like, that's what I would do. We're not, <laughs> we're not ruthless right. killers. But I'm just saying, if we're going to play, like, try to get into the mindset of, of a ruthless gangster, it, it would be like in uh, Back to Casino. Like, they say, would he ever talk? No, the guy's a Marine. He's, He's like, great. what does he say? Tough as nails. Yeah, but then what is the... Eh, well, why chance it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, even if they thought he was a stand-up guy, you, these guys are ruthless. It's like, when, when I mean, he's just an associate. Why not just yeah, eighty-six them both? But uh, it, I just feel I felt like when I learned about that recently, and I learned about that from deep diving, deep diving Sammy the Arab um, after this lunch, this, these innocuous comments that were made in a lunch that I was at in the last couple months about Sammy the Arab being from Detroit. We wanted to kind of learn more about him. It was the 50-year anniversary of the Pierre robbery. I wrote a story. That story got tremendous feedback. I was actually surprised that people would have cared about it, but it was actually one of the most trafficked things I've written all year. So I figured, you know, you tie that into Goodfellas and a, and a slice of the Goodfellas story that I didn't know, and I don't think a lot of people really know, outside of those one or two references in the movie, but I kind of thought those were creative liberties. I mean, I knew that he had gotten 
nailed by local cops. Right, yeah, I knew that too. But yeah. the part about going, uh, when, when he meets uh, Jimmy the Gent in the diner and he tells him to go whack someone, I don't know why, in my head, I kind of thought that was a creative liberty, but it wasn't. So in the, in the film, Goodfellas, they say that his babysitter got caught on a wiretap, right? That part's true too. Yeah. I read that in the, the babysitter did get caught on a wire. But that's separate from... That's separate from... She wasn't connected to this kid at all. He just had multiple mules. Right. Or at least more than one. Yes. Okay. Hey, I could be wrong right now. Okay, so I'm 90% sure what I'm about to say is accurate. So give me a 10%. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, we can get... 10% can lead me wrong. Yeah. I think if my memory serves, he was the guy that made the phone call. I see. Bobby Jr. was told not to make a phone call from a certain. So they, they, they mixed that there was a babysitter, yeah. but the scenario right. was mixed with a different person, right. if that makes sense. And I think Bobby Jr. might have been ignoring what he was told by Henry Hill because he was working for the government. Like at that point, he was already working for them. And when he was like, don't make the call from the house. Not only is he ignoring him because in the movie it looks like, you know, she just doesn't care. Right. But I think there might have been some, in, some like, yeah. intention behind that to help whoever he was working for. That's classic uh, cinema, too. The yeah. uh, forget your fucking hat. <laughs> I never go anywhere without my, right. without my hat. Well, that's, a, uh, that's such a great scene also where um, he's like, for a second, I, I thought, it was the mob and I was dead. And then I realized that mobsters don't talk like that. Only cops talk like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> if it had been the if it had been the mob, I wouldn't hear if I wouldn't have heard anything. Yeah, there's um um another uh classic line in there. Remember uh you baking a cake? No, that's so Bo Deedle, <laughs> uh who's, goodbye, you know, uh, is 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 an actual <laughs> NYPD uh detective or was uh, very decorated. Um I've met him a couple times. He's a, he's a character, but he's got some great lines in that movie. He's got some great lines in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, in that movie, where because he's the guy that puts the the gun into his head, says turn the engine out right now, you motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah, when yeah, Henry's right. like, yeah, only cops talk like that. Yeah, and right. then as they're dragging him into the station, he's like, wait, you guys baking a cake? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's class classic line. So I had. Um, one of my in my gangs and organized crime class, my students have to do a project, a film project. That's one of their assignments, and so usually at least one group picks Goodfellas. And uh, some of my students were really disappointed. It was all females in this uh, group, and uh, that they thought Ray Liotta in the film that he was very suave, he was very likable, like, good looking dude. Right. And so they, they were, their terms, they were like, he was hot. Right. And then when they looked at a real picture of Henry Hill, <laughs> right. they were really disappointed. And so what do you expect? You can't have a but schmuck that's why, like but, Henry, a guy looks like Henry Hill that's in real life. But that's part of why that was such a perfect movie. Yeah. They took a guy, a character in real life, Henry Hill, who was not very likable. No. But you had, for the sake of the film, of course. because he's the threat, he's the through line to the whole movie. Yeah. You're riding in a car with this guy the whole movie. Yeah. You had to make him, you had to tread that line between likable to the audience, but still a gangster. Yes. And I thought they did that so Perfect. perfectly because there was some relatability to him, but at the same time, he was also someone that did really bad things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, But I, I know that I was... I digress for a second here, but going back through Wise Guy, 
he does talk in wise guy like he does in the movie about wanting to save in the movie he's maury in real life the guy was named marty krugman right uh marty the rug maury uh those are great scenes too and uh he so in one sense it's like he's doing whatever he can to protect this guy (laughs) yeah uh it didn't matter he got killed anyway You gonna you gonna tell Jimmy that he yeah, doesn't? Yeah. What am I? Jimmy's been an unconscionable ball brother. Fuck him in his ear. Fuck him in his other ear. <laughs> I didn't grieve eight percent behind the ball above the big. He starts strangling him with the phone. Yeah. <laughs> you got enough. Well, that, see that part was true. Where he's yeah. like, so Jimmy, he, this was in the Wise Guy book. Uh, Henry Hill and Nick Pelletti say Jimmy was an insomniac. Jimmy couldn't sleep at night, and those those wig commercials would run in the oh, middle wait. of the night. Yeah. So Jimmy would be. And couldn't be sleeping, couldn't sleep. He's in front of his television and he has a guy that owes him money on the television. He's like, you got enough money for those fucking commercials. You don't yeah. got enough money to pay me what you owe me. <laughs> right, right. So I I, I think that, that he was just likable enough. And then you add in the fact that Ray Liotta was, was good looking and there was a certain suave, yeah. smooth criminal character to the way Ray Liotta played it. I don't think... Henry Hill was really that smooth. Henry Hill benefited. This is this is a this is a a rule of thumb in my opinion. You can can apply in so many different uh, realms of life, and it plays to the whole. It's not what you know; it's who you know. Proximity to power is can be incredibly valuable, and can be a currency that you can ride for for yeah forever 100 or at least forever so henry hill he was brought up by paul vario and then when he was a young adult he was mentored by jimmy burke yeah as long as those two guys are co-signing for you you can do whatever you want yeah yeah he he might not have gotten as far as he did without those guys and by the way my understanding is that Vario is was a hypocrite too because that his son was a big junk dealer. Yeah. Well, and another and part by of the, junk dealer, I mean heroin, heroin dealer, yeah. not not like literally like Sanford and son. And then, and then a part that they don't tell you because it just would have uh, made things more complicated and confusing. But in reality, Paul Vario was sleeping with Karen. Oh, Karen, the Lorraine Bracco character was. Having an affair on Henry with his boss. Oh, God, I don't remember that. Is that and in the, Wise Guy? Yeah. God, I don't remember. And that. then Tommy, one of the reasons Tommy got killed, yes, it was the fact that he killed Billy Bats and he killed this other guy named Foxy who were close to the Gotti crew and the Gambinos. Yes, that was true. But what eventually gave Paulie the impetus to okay the contract was that Tommy had tried to sleep with Karen. Oh shit! And Paulie was like, "Okay, you put your hands on my girlfriend." It wasn't you put your hands on no, Henry's wife, this is Guma, right? Or his paramour or whatever. So that, uh, from my research, is what led to Paulie saying, t- telling the Gambinos it was okay, yeah, uh, to to kill to kill Tommy, and that that incident had happened around the Lufanza. And if you and if you remember in the in the movie, Henry wasn't really involved in Lufanza. No. Henry, no, I mean, so that's one of the reasons why he doesn't get clipped. Right. So Henry was off running around doing all these other scams. And that's why he probably was leaving town to go to Pittsburgh a lot 
And Karen was left to her own devices. Yeah, I mean, in the film, he just introduced- don't give me the babe in the room. Don't give me the babe in the woods routine, <laughs> oh, Karen. Yeah, we yeah. I've heard those tapes. Yeah. You're on those tapes talking about cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> that's another good scene. But yeah, in the film, he just introduces the guy, the security guy, to Jimmy. But other than that, he's not really involved in a lot of the, you know, day to day planning and operations of it, carrying it out. Um. All right, well, this is this is really fun, um, and I think uh, I hope I hope people enjoy this, and I know our listeners like these kinds of movies. Um, just want to remind everyone: please follow us on uh, social media on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Gangster Podcast, or on TikTok. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel; these videos will be up soon. And uh, stay in touch with us. Let us know what you want to listen to kinds of topics we get a lot of good feedback people want more outlaw biker episodes we're working on that more episodes about canada um some you know we get a lot of good suggestions uh people always love the detroit stuff so uh we appreciate uh your feedback and and following us anything else you want to no this has been great uh, we're really uh we can't say enough about ben our new producer yeah like i said he's helping us <laughs> helping us grow helping us mature and uh, become multidimensional, and and we're really excited about what we got uh, in store for you in the future and for ourselves with Ben. Ben is a superstar, just like Mark was. We loved Mark, um, and we love Roberto, and hopefully we'll— Roberto's actually in the building, right. but he's he's unable to jump in on, jump in on this Hopefully we'll be but... hearing from both of them at some point down the uh, in the future. Roberto yeah. probably a little bit more, but Ben is uh, is quarterbacking us now from from behind the glass, and and God, are we— We've gotten a, you just like the Pistons just got a steal in so the NBA se- draft. So it seems like maybe yeah. the best NBA draft of, of of all of 2022. We've got a steal, yeah. And Ben as our producer because this guy is a hidden gem. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato. I'm Scott Bernstein. We'll out. talk out. <laughs>